0: What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to the Passing Downs Podcast. I'm your host, Rahul, and I'm here with my co-host, PD. PD, say what's up. What's up? All right, and today we're going to get into our Week 12 episode, and just like all our other weeks, it's going to be a review of all the quarterbacks we found interesting in last week's matchups and a little bit of a preview into what we think will be the most interesting games and quarterback matchups of the next week, which is week 13. We're getting towards the end of the season, the nitty-gritty parts of the season that really determine who's going to go all the way and who's getting the playoffs and who's looking to next season. So I'm looking forward to it, and let's get started off with our week 12 review, PD. All
1: right, so first quarterback that I'm going to look at is Joe Burrow and. Burrow was fantastic this game in a tough matchup without his wide receiver one. He's playing amazing football recently, and in this one, uh, it didn't start off so well. Um, a few short completions here and there in the flat on screens, um, and he did get sacked once in the first quarter. Um, had one nice scramble for 13 yards, but really that's all that, that happened. Um, yeah, they couldn't really get much going in the first quarter. But we started off the second quarter Um a few minutes in with a really nice pass down the seam to Hayden Hurst, uh, high and away away from coverage where only Hurst could get it and he brought it down. Um, we then have a dropped pass from T Higgins on like a slant glance route type thing, um, past the first down marker and Higgins just stone handed drops it. It was a bad, bad drop. Um, then we have a few short passes uh, through the middle part of the quarter and another nice scramble for a first down. Um, and then, one quick short pass that loses a good amount of yardage. And then a really nice play from Burrow where um, he's pressured reasonably quickly on the interior, uh, breaks the pocket, moves right, and throws to Williams, his running back, um, a little bit down the field. And it was a little high, but uh, a good pass nonetheless. Uh, we start off the second half with a couple of uh, a miss here to Samaje Piran on a short pass but then he follows it up pretty immediately with a really nice pass to T Higgins. Um, And then we have uh, a few more short completions, one more miss through the, uh, through the middle part of the third quarter. And then Burrow takes an intentional grounding um, that I didn't think that he needed to take. So one bad play there, uh, another short pass. And then the fourth quarter to close it out. He was absolutely sensational. We have this first play of his fourth quarter where Um, the Bengals set up a play action and then Burrow takes a few steps and launches it down the sideline to T Higgins um, into a cover two hole. And it was dropped in beautifully with touch and power. um, And Higgins just brought it in and it was a really nice play. And then again, it makes a really nice back shoulder throw to Trenton Irwin. I think it is. Um, Yeah. Right along the sideline, Irwin makes a nice adjustment. Great throw, great catch. And then he makes another uh, back shoulder throw to T. Higgins along the sideline, and Higgins makes another or Higgins makes makes another adjustment for the Bengals. A great throw, great catch again. A couple of short completions, and then we have another throw to T. Higgins um, outside the numbers, and that one pretty much uh, sealed the deal as the Titans got a penalty um, on a field goal attempt, and that caused the Bengals to get a first down and nail out the clock. So a great game from burrow really really appreciated what he did in this game tight window throws back shoulders giving his guys a chance but also not really making it like jump ball scenarios but like balls that require an adjustment but it's it's the right read for the leverage of the defender and a lot of those plays in this game and i really appreciated how he played
0: yeah i agree with most of what you said about burrow there and Look, just a quick fast forward, looking into our previews, we're not going to go be going over it, but one of the biggest games coming up this week is going to be that Bengals-Chiefs game, you know, uh, uh, a repeat of the AFC Championship, and both Mahomes and Burrow are coming into this hot. And what I wanted to mention about Burrow in this one is, as Petey talked about, he was, for this past month or so, ever since you know Chase has gone down, he's been using Higgins at an extremely high rate. And I don't blame him because that's honestly, at this point, his best bet. And he's been playing at an MVP level. But I'm really excited to see what he's going to come back and do with Jamar Chase, expected to be back this week, and potentially even uh, a return of Joe Mixon in this one. So I think Burrow's going to just continue to soar the way he's been doing ever since you know, I guess it was a week three or four when he decided to turn things around.
1: Yeah, I totally agree there. Um, I think when when Burrow is good, the league is better. Um, it just provides a greater variety of um, types of quarterbacks that have success in the
0: league. 100%. And looking at another quarterback who's starting to get a little bit of success in this league, and Trevor Lawrence in another matchup that was... Extremely interesting, just like that Cincinnati Tennessee one. Another interesting AFC matchup between the Ravens and Jaguars here, where the Jaguars took it in the end. And in this one, Lawrence continued his recent upturn in uh, play statistically speaking, as this is per- per- his performance looks good on paper. He went 29 for 37, threw for 321 yards, and had three touchdowns. But overall, when looking at the film, it wasn't quite as impressive as this stat line may suggest. Uh, Going in his first quarter, this was a struggle overall for the Jaguars offense. The, the team scored no points, and big reasons were because Lawrence got stuffed on a quarterback sneak on the very first drive, where I felt like he could have done a little bit more to get that first down, especially being as big and tall as he is, it's... Pretty easy to fall forward for a yard. And the fact that he wasn't able to there was a little disappointing. And later on in the sec- another drive that quarter, he misses Christian Kirk on an open third down pass that causes the second drive to stall. Uh, a couple of miscommunications with Lawrence and his receivers, it seemed like led to incompletions. And ultimately, not a whole lot went ha- happened in this quarter. However, in the second quarter, things do heat up a bit for Lawrence because... Uh, early in the quarter, he finds Hasty streaking down the sideline for a 30-yard touchdown. It was great placement by Lawrence, and he del- delivered a strike despite pressure all up in his face. Uh, he followed that up with later in the quarter. He had a good drive where he kind of just nickeled and dimed his way down the field. He's really playing his game here. I think I've talked about this before, but I think Trevor Lawrence is at his best when he just finds people underneath, gets the ball up quick. Because when he's able to do that, I think he's got a great knowledge of the game to where he's able to find receivers, uh, find the open receiver fast and get them in a position where they can get a lot of yards after catch. When he's sitting in the back pocket, sometimes uh, things don't necessarily go as well as they are when he's just dumping it out quick. But, even though he got downfield pretty quickly, nickel and diming, he, there was a miscommunication where Lawrence kind of just throws the ball out of bounds on a third and goal, and this caused him to only get a field goal here. So with that being the end of the first half, it was a somewhat quiet and uh, some would even say maybe disappointing half from Lawrence, but uh, second half, it continues to be a little bit more of the same. Early in the third third quarter, he had a couple of quick three and outs on back-to-back drives where he kind of just started to miss his receivers left and right. And uh, later, he gets hit from behind late in the third quarter, and he gets fum- and he fumbles the ball. So once again, in that third quarter, it was a very rough quarter from him. But the fourth quarter was a completely different story and probably a big reason why the narrative on Lawrence in this one was a lot different than what how I'm talking about him. Because uh, he responds uh, early in the fourth quarter with a big drive. Uh, this drive almost does end in disaster because early in the drive, he rolls left and kind of just throws the ball down the sidelines, almost right to a Raven defender who just happens to drop it. And that was lucky for him because he follows this with a beautiful 4th and eight touch pass throw that kept them not only in the game, not only kept the drive alive, but kept them in the game. And he fit it right in the sideline in between two defenders to Zay Jones, just just enough for him to snag that. Uh, He finished the drive with more of the same, just nickel and diming his way downfield with short throws to Kirk, Agnew, a lot of quick screens. And then he caps the drive-off with a quick two-yard touchdown throw to uh, Agnew. Uh, with about five minutes left in the game, Lawrence gets the ball back in the Ravens' red zone, down only two points. And he only gets a field goal out of this drive, which I just wanted to emphasize. Because in big games like this, where it's close and you get the ball with not too much time left, especially in deep Ravens' territory, because I believe this came off a turnover, uh... You can't have those miscommunications that end up leading to only a field goal instead of seven points. Because had he not got the ball back here, this would have been over. Uh, But luckily enough, his defense clutches up and gets him the ball back uh, when he's down seven. Game on the line. Only has two minutes left. And early in the drive, he does almost fumble. But he uh, recovers not only the ball, but recovers the drive by converting a fourth and five. Uh, to Marvin Jones off a back foot off his back foot despite pressure in his face and then later he finds a Christian Kirk again for a big gain over the middle and he has this big highlight 30yard touchdown pass to Zay Jones on this drive whereas Jones kind of finds a weak spot in the Ravens uh, zone coverage on what seemed to be like a post corner route and Lawrence just delivered it on the money and with about 20 seconds left, Lawrence throws one of his the best back shoulder fades I've seen all season uh, right on Marcus Peters' head, right to Marvin Jones in the perfect place for Jones to go up and get it. And he follows that with a big time throw to Zay Jones on the, an out route for the two point conversion. And that won them the game. That ball had to be a strike and it had to be on target. And Lawrence definitely delivered and won them that game for sure. And overall, I will say Lawrence did have uh, quite a lot of mistakes and a bit too many mistakes for my liking. If this was something he tends to do on average throughout his career, it definitely would not be uh, a good look. But I will say he's definitely playing with a lot more confidence and poise, and it's a great sign that he was able to come back and win this game for his team for whatever it's worth because he was very clutch in this one
1: yeah i mean what is it what is my count here uh three turnover really plays for lawrence two fumbles dropped pick a drop pick in the fourth quarter that could have been difficult um and you mentioned the fumble on the game-winning drive but i think i agreed with pretty much everything else that you said um where i think the quick shots or or the quick passes to set up the deep shots um that that is the way that Lawrence should be playing and I think the deep shots at the end of the game those are just spectacular plays and we know that he could have he can make those plays we've seen them so many times um but this week I think uh I'm gonna come I'm gonna sound like a hater here but (laughs) the luck just swung in his direction finally and um he, he at least he took advantage of it so shout out to him for that
0: Yeah, as I did mention in this one, he did have a couple of drives late in the fourth quarter where they didn't do much with it, and a big reason was the Jaguars' defense happened to get stops here where they won a lot of the games, especially against a good Ravens offense. So yeah, you are right where he, he did get lucky to even be in that position to win them the game after all he did the rest of the game, but... I'll be a little hopeful in saying it was good news a little bit to see what he could do in that last drive and even in a rough game, tough one out and finish it off for them. Uh, and moving on from him to another young AFC quarterback in Justin Herbert, who also just barely edged out his opponent on a two-point conversion to win the game. And after this one, I finally saw Herbert getting some credit and some praise on the internet because this, this season has seemed to be a year where Herbert's getting a lot of hate, but and unjustified in my opinion. But he finally got some love after this game because he was incredibly clutch and a lot of people said Herbert finally won a big game, whatever that means. But... He himself, he was very good statistically going uh, 35-47, throwing for 274 yards, three touchdowns. And in my opinion, his game film definitely back backed it up in this one. Uh, Early in the first quarter, the Chargers offense starts off very slow because on a third and seven, where Herbert seemed to have spotted an open wide receiver for a first uh, from the tape. Uh, his left tackle kind of just lets JJ, J.J. Watt walk through for a free sack. And I'll repeat this a few times because this is a common theme for the Chargers O-line this game where they just weren't do, holding their job at all. Uh, Later in the quarter, it happens, something very similar happens where the Chargers do get the ball in Cardinals territory after the Cardinals fumble. But unfortunately, we see a lot of the same because... His left tackle, once again, is pushed and driven right back into Justin Herbert. <clears throat> and the Cardinals end up getting a sack on this. And even though the Chargers get the ball in Cardinals territory off a turnover, they don't even give uh, get a field goal because they just couldn't get anything uh, going. And in the last drive of the first, even more of the same, because once again, Justin Herbert gets sacked. And then the offensive line gets a holding call on that play and they get backed up. And the Chargers just can't convert on a third and long. So overall, a very rough quarter from Herbert, but it's purely because he had no time early in this one. And the first drive early in the second quarter, you start to see Herbert adjust to what's going on here and kind of switching up how he's going to play. On this drive, he just dinks and dunks his way downfield uh, with a lot of checkdowns to his running backs because... He clearly doesn't have the time for longer developing plays yet, and they just have to get something going. And this honestly kind of explains to me or shows to me why he may struggle with choosing when to be aggressive, which is something we've talked about a lot with Herbert this season and even prior in his career. That's probably been one of his biggest struggles. But seeing how much his offensive line won't allow him to do purely because of you know, how bad they were early in this game, I could see why he doesn't necessarily trust himself to maybe be more aggressive when he's not backed into a wall. And then we do see Herbert get aggressive. But overall, this this was a big indicator why for me. And he capped that drive with another quick two-yard touchdown pass to Allen on a quick out. It was very fitting for how the rest of that drive went. Uh, In the middle of the second quarter, we saw him continue with more of the same with a bunch of quick out routes to Allen and a lot of just dump-offs to Eckler, let him get uh, yards, and that got them in the red zone. And he finished this drive with probably one of my favorite plays of the season, maybe even for him, because his running back, Josh Kelly, just completely misses a blocking assignment and allows a free rusher to come up to Herbert. And Herbert's able to quickly shuffle his feet, move forward out of the pocket and away from uh, defenders. And while on the run, he just throws a dart downfield to DeAndre Carter, who the DBs just have lost on the sideline because of how long the play was. And Carter is able to catch it and run in for a 35-yard touchdown. And just Overall, I was very impressed from Herbert to be able to escape that pressure. And not only that, make it look easy, which I've talked about a lot, you know. Dealing with pressure and making it look easy is super important for uh, elite quarterbacks like him. And this is an example of him doing so. And it was just an overall impressive switch up from Herbert from the first quarter to be able to kind of switch the game plan and adapt and still beat this Cardinals defense. And as we get into the second half, Herbert continues a lot more of the same with quick out route throws to Carter and then back to back more to Josh Palmer. And he just does a good job of forcing the defense to stop you and just continues hitting them with those quick out routes until the Cardinals' defense decides to stop it. Uh, In the red zone, though, he does do a poor job of finding a wide receiver. Uh, His wide receivers weren't really getting a whole lot of separation, but that does happen a lot when you're dealing with short fields in the red zone. And I felt like there are a couple of times he could have thrown someone open. But overall, that drive led to a field goal. Uh, And moving on to the fourth quarter, Herbert starts this one off on fire with a big 25-yard scramble. Uh, However, another sack and more just pressure from that Cardinals defense derails another drive and forces another punt. Uh, Herbert gets the ball back again, down seven with only about six minutes left. And this is where I expected Herbert's, like, you know, clutch Gene to take over and maybe he starts cooking. But once again, the, his offensive line lets him down because he gets chased left out of the pocket by pressure and on the run. He does find DeAndre Carter once for a 20-yard gain, but later on the very following set of down, he gets sacked on a third and seven almost instantly after stopping the ball because the Cardinals blitz and the Chargers offensive line just chooses not to pick it up. But the biggest drive of the game, and probably the one everyone has heard of at that point, was when Herbert gets the ball once again with two minutes to go, down seven in Cardinals territory. And this is where he you know, makes a couple of completions, one to Everett, one to Eckler, gets them downfield. And ultimately, you see him make that check down pass to Eckler for a touchdown. They then go for two, and Herbert makes the right read, finding jailed Everett on an angle route wide open and this ultimately wins them the game. Uh, overall it's not a very flashy game from Herbert in terms of you know something some of the crazy throws we have seen him do in other games because as I said he had to change the way he was playing but this is the type of game sometimes he needs to have in order to just continue winning the games when his team is playing the way they are. And I'm, I'm glad I saw him make this progression, because sometimes he he doesn't realize to do this soon enough, and it ends up hurting him, but he does a good job of that in this one.
1: Yeah, um, great game from Herbert. Um, really, like, only thing that I can kind of try to criticize him for is that normally his ability to avoid sacks is better than what he showed, uh, even with the high volume of pressure, but... I mean, that's one of his superpowers, and it's okay if one game he doesn't do that at a high level. So, good stuff from Herbert, uh, looking to see more going forward. All right, moving on to our next game, we have Geno Smith uh, against the Raiders, and I predicted that this one would be a shootout, and it kind of ended up being a shootout. So, we start off the first quarter with a couple of short passes, and... One drop by Will Disley um, on a nice pass over the middle uh, from Gino. And then we start we start the fireworks. Um, we have a really nice pass um, inside the numbers to Noah Fant over the middle. It's a little high, but Fant brings it in. Good throw regardless. But then Gino makes like back-to-back mistakes in the red zone. Um, at, at the opponent six-yard line, um, Gino throws back-to-back interceptable passes, one of them on an attempted throw and uh, I don't know what he was thinking, but he didn't get the ball out out of bounds fully. And then one, just a poor, poor decision uh, late and behind his receiver, which was Metcalf. Um, But then um, the thing that we've kind of been talking about all season with, Gino, it just continues to to happen because from that point on, um, he showed the ability to respond, which was absolutely incredible. So the next throw he makes, Um, is outside the numbers it's just a gorgeously touched ball um to to DK Metcalf he throws a couple of short passes heading into the second quarter and he throws an interception but this one is a wide receiver area in my opinion uh Tyler Lockin and DK Metcalf run into each other on this kind of crossing pattern that they're running and that kind of leads the defender to be able to make a play on the ball um after that we have a couple of short passes um a pass where Gino you know, fits the ball into a tight window to Will Disley. And then we have another great, great pass um, to Tyler Tyler Lockett deep, deep down the field. And that leads to a touchdown. Um, and that's their last score of the second second quarter. Um, the third quarter is a little uneventful for Gino. A bunch of uh, shorter passes, a couple of them broken for long yak opportunities by Tyler Lockett uh, on the first one. And then... Marquise Goodwin on another one. Um, and then the fourth quarter, he's again lights out. So we start the fourth quarter with back to back great passes from Gino. The first one, a tight window throw to Marquise Goodwin, where uh, Goodwin gets absolutely leveled on, on a big hit. But I think that that hit was necessary if Gino wanted the completion. So good throw there. And then we have another good throw um, to Travis Homer, where Gino goes out of the pocket and he's on the run moving to his left and just casually flips his hips and tosses it to Travis Homer. The ball is a a little bit behind Homer, but it was a great throw nonetheless to break uh, after breaking pressure and kind of flipping his hips to do that. Um, And then after that, a couple of short completions, we do have a sack from Gino, but I don't think that was really his fault. And then he makes up for it immediately by scrambling for an 18 yard gain. And then, just a couple of, couple of short passes to close this one out. Um, there is a pass along the sideline to DK Metcalf where uh, I thought Metcalf could have made the catch. They initially ruled that he did make the catch, but um, going back and reviewing it, they said that uh, Metcalf did not make the catch. It was a tough catch regardless, but I still think that that was a good throw from Gino. And then Gino got sacked uh, as his last play, play in regulation on a third and 10, where he was just kind of trying to make a play. Um and then in overtime, um, Gino made a short five-yard completion, and then on third down, he was forced to throw it away by really early pressure off the edge. So I thought, I mean, Gino put the ball in harm's way twice early, but the amount of explosive plays that he is able to generate by pushing the ball down the field aggressively with accuracy and anticipation in tight windows is just, it's just something that can keep you in the game at all times, and it kind of did for the Seahawks. Um, despite him, like making that volume or that egregious of mistakes, um, his grade from me will still be still be solid, and um, I think this just speaks to the ability, the the play style of Geno Smith uh, being the right playstyle for today's game.
0: Yeah, this one was a little weird from Geno because typically you don't see him make this many mistakes. He's been probably one of not probably he has been one of the most accurate quarterbacks in the league by far and just in general not a very mistake prone guy but that all of that did make this game interesting that was a overtime thriller and if you guys didn't watch josh jacobs had an absolute master class in this one and just talking about a lot of these games i'm realizing now that a lot of these games were very good not only that seattle game but that uh, Chargers Cardinals game and the Baltimore Jacksonville game and the Bengals Titans game, in fact. But moving on from all of those master classes to probably one of the more boring games of the weekend between the Chiefs and the Rams, and looking at Patrick Mahomes in this one, who in a season full of pretty much statistical master classes from him, this game won't necessarily pop out because. He was only 27 for 42, through for 320 yards, with a touchdown and a pick, which definitely does not look terrible, but at this point with Mahomes' expectations, it doesn't look uh it doesn't look that good either. But at least in my opinion, the game film shows slightly different. It was a bit of a weird game from him, and I'll get right into it. Uh, early in the first quarter, in the first drive. Uh, he's, it's quickly killed because on a third and five, Mahomes just decides to wait a bit too long to make a decision, even though, at least in my opinion, there seemed to be an open Juju Smith-Schuster underneath. He just doesn't seem to see it, and he kind of waits too long and makes his offensive line block way too long, and at some point, Aaron Donald's going to get to you, and he did on this one, and it forces a bad throw, which ends the Chiefs' drive pretty much. Uh, in the middle of the first, Mahomes responds to that bad drive pretty much immediately by finding Sky Moore down the sideline open for a 20-25 to 25 yard pickup, and then Kelsey once again over the middle for another 15, and this drive finishes with probably one of the better plays of the day overall for the Chiefs, and a pretty good throw from Mahomes as well. Uh, he makes an impressive throw to Kelsey to kind of throw him open in coverage versus Jalen Ramsey, because it seemed... Like Ramsey was kind of going stride for stride with Kelsey, but Mahomes throws the ball upfield and high and away from Ramsey, which allows Kelsey to catch it and turn upfield. And then he probably makes the most incredible part of this play happen because, at his size, he's able to just turn around, run away from a couple of defenders, and then still run some guys over to get into the end zone. Uh, That catch and run by Kelsey was great, and. It was honestly more impressive from him to get into that end zone than the throw itself, but big play for that team nonetheless. Uh, early in the second quarter, Mahomes was able to get downfield off a throw over the middle to Watson and another check down to Rojo, who went for about 25 yards. Uh, in the red zone, he also is able to take off and get the Chiefs inside the two-yard line. Uh, but a couple of flags from the offensive line puts them uh, a lot farther from the end zone, and they're unable to punch it in, and they do get a field goal. Uh, However, the Chiefs, after two muffed punts in one half, I was very surprised to see it, but Mahomes doesn't get the ball once again until late in the second quarter, backed up at his own five-yard line, but He pretty much immediately gets the Chiefs out of the sticky spot by finding uh, MVS down the sideline. It was a perfectly placed ball with probably one of the best touches I've seen from Mahomes in a while. He puts it right in between a safety and corner in cover two and gets the Chiefs up to the 25. Follows that by finding Watson again over the middle for another 15, and he makes another perfect throw to 88 right in a tight window between two defenders for another 25 and gets them deep in Rams territory. Uh, In the red zone, on a third and two, he's able to find an open MVS and hits him right in the chest, but MVS just drops it, and even though it wasn't really Mahomes' fault there, it does lead to a field goal. And overall... uh. Pretty successful half for Mahomes. He did have a couple of minor mistakes. This wasn't really where we saw the bigger mistakes from him. And overall, he converted and scored good po- a lot of points here for the Chiefs. So pretty good uh, half from him, I'd say. But early- And early in the third quarter, we see another classic Mahomes play where you see him run right away from pressure. And he throws the ball across his body to an open sky Moore over the middle. Even though it was an incredibly difficult throw to make across the body, it's still well-placed and still got there with a lot of velocity. He has another play like this on the same drive where he somehow managed to sidestep Aaron Donald, which definitely isn't easy. And he breaks free and sidearms the ball around another defensive lineman and gets the ball to Noah Gray for another first down. In the, in the red zone, he's able to scramble for one first down and then ultimately hands it off to Pacheco, who runs it in a couple yards for a touchdown. So he doesn't get a touchdown for that drive, but that was a big drive for him nonetheless and very impressive. Early in the fourth quarter, uh, the Mahomes and the Chiefs, they start to shift to putting the game away because they are up 10 at this point. And Mahomes starts it off by playing that pretty well. He starts with back-to-back textbook shoulder fades, uh, back shoulder fades to Juju, put right on the money right over the, f- the defender. He then finds MVS deep on a crosser route for like 30 yards, and he put the ball right on the money with good velocity because the safety was coming down and right there about to get to the ball, but he still got it. But he finishes this drive with probably one of the worst plays I've ever seen him make not only this season, but just overall, because for whatever reason, maybe I didn't see the ball get tipped or maybe I'm seeing something wrong, but it seemed like on a third and goal from like the five, he threw the ball directly to a defender with like no chief receiver remotely in the area. And just overall, I wasn't sure what he was thinking here. I was, I was very confused and it was so bad that it honestly might make his overall day go down a bit for me uh, especially because that touchdown probably would have put the game away and ended it and after the Chiefs get a quick interception off of the Rams and the Chiefs offense gets the ball once again immediately to like two minutes later gets the ball back in the red zone and Mahomes almost throws a pick again on third and goal where he rolls right and he's trying to find Kelsey in the back of the end zone but uh the ball gets tipped and almost picked off and it was really just his fault for putting the ball in harm's way because there was like three defenders between him and Kelsey so overall Mahomes was like very good for a quarter and maybe even or a half and maybe even the third quarter but for whatever reason his fourth quarter had a bunch of random turnover worthy plays which just I just didn't understand what he was doing and it overall just kind of stabilized his performance from me so a weird one from Mahomes I don't expect him to continue doing this because he did look like himself for majority of this one but yeah that's all I have to say for him
1: yeah I mean I don't think this should have any impact on like where I see him this season I still think he's playing at the best he's, he's playing like the best quarterback in, in the league uh, for this season And Uh I still think he's the MVP even after like a bit of a down game, but not really like a down game. It was it was okay. Yeah, uh, I think for him. It was it Um, was a
0: couple of very poor mistakes that put him that put him in a bad spot in this one. But overall, like PD said, definitely not enough to take Mm -hmm. him out of consideration for MVP and whatnot.
1: Yep, totally agreed.
0: Yeah, and moving on from a bunch of boring games to another game that was interesting for a little bit, got a little out of hand towards the end, but we're looking at Jalen Hurts against the Packers, who was absolutely sensational in prime time and surprisingly enough, did it mainly with his legs. And it's not necessarily surprising because we know Hurts is a great mobile guy and is a great rusher as a quarterback. But he typically isn't this uh, heavy of a rusher, and it was interesting to see the way he played in this one. He was 16 for 28 with 153 passing yards and two uh, touchdowns passing. But he was also seven. Uh, he also had 17 carries for 157 yards rushing. And I honestly think he would have broken the record for QB rush yards if this game didn't get out of hand kind of early and he didn't really have to run the ball anymore. Uh, early in the first, uh, getting into the game early in the first quarter, we see on a third and 10, he, he's able to get out of the pocket and we see him juke out the QB spy. They set specifically for him behind the line of scrimmage. Then he breaks another linebackers angles before he even gets to the first down marker. And he breaks the run outside and down the sideline for another 15 yards. This run was kind of foreshadowing for kind of the rest of the game to come and it was also just incredibly impressive and an athletic run from him and it's just so tough to get Jalen Hurts uh down on the ground in the open field and we saw that in this uh in that play uh he follows that with another QB draw later in the drive where he kind of just bursts up the middle uh, up up the middle and then turns to the sideline and it's overall 20 plus yard gain which leads to a short touchdown run from him his next relevant drive comes late in the first quarter where he finds AJ Brown underneath and puts the ball in a good spot for AJB to spin upfield for another around 15. Uh later on a 3rd and 2 you see him take off on a scramble, see down the pack uh down the sideline because the Packers defensive linemen break contain, which you definitely can't do when you're uh facing a guy like Jalen Hurts and he showed them here cuz He just took the ball from the midfield all the way down to the five-yard line, just exploding down the sideline. It looked like no defender was anywhere near him or even close to catching him. And he was just so explosive and almost looked like a running back there. Uh, Early in the second quarter, he's able to find Devontae Smith on an out route with amazing anticipation and accuracy. And he follows that with a designed quarterback run where he just reads the hole perfectly like a running back almost and just takes it up the middle for another 20 yards. And that drive is eventually killed by an A.J. Brown fumble, but nonetheless, Hurts was driving on that one once again. In the middle of the second quarter, you do see some of the issues I guess we've had with Hurts, not only this game, but overall. Because we see a drive get killed because Hertz takes one sack. And he's also forced to throw the ball away on a third down since he just keeps bailing on the pocket too much. And when you see him get out of the pocket early, it makes things a lot easier for the defense. Because he just eliminates half of the field and half of his possibilities while kind of getting pushed backwards and away from the play. And just another thing he's definitely got to work on. Uh, however, late in the second quarter, we see him find AJ Brown over the middle for another big gain. And then on the same drive, he picks up a very big and important fourth and one on his, the famous Jalen Hurts QB sneak play that we've come to see this season. And this drive was, uh, even though they didn't, uh, they do end up scoring, this drive was most relevant because of, uh that touchdown throw, which was honestly one of his best of the day, in my opinion, where he had a uh, Quez Watkins down the sideline with the cornerback draped pretty much all over him. And he just puts the ball right in Quez's red basket, right where only Quez could get it. And even though Quez had no separation, he's able to get him the ball for a big 30-yard touchdown. And it just kind of attests to the kind of chemistry Jalen Hurts hazard quest because it seems like he kind of just turns around and almost comes back to the ball because he knows where Jalen Hurts is gonna put it in like that front right corner of the end zone and even though he wasn't open Hurts still trusts him enough to go and snag that ball for him so just very high IQ and great chemistry play from those two right there uh and going into the second half he just continues to Shred that Packers defense where on a big third and 12 in Packers territory, you see him find Devonte Smith and this play was particularly impressive to me because Devonte seems covered. But even though he's covered, you see Jalen Hurts throw to a spot rather than throwing to Smith, kind of like that Quez Watkins throw and uh, it allows Smith to kind of work back to the ball and come back and grab the ball. And not only that, turn around and get yak yardage for that first down. And he ends that drive with an accurate out route pass to A.J. Brown for another touchdown. Early in the fourth, you see where uh, he kind of has one of his best plays of almost the season if it did end up going the way it should have. Because on this play, he gets immediately immediately flushed out of the pocket right due to a lot of pressure. And then he just turns around and starts running across the field and gets all the way to the other sideline uh, to the left of the left hashes and still manages to throw the ball to the back corner of the end zone and finds Quez Watkins with a chance to catch a touchdown, but Quez just drops it. But had he caught that pass, that might have been one of Hurts' most insane highlight plays of the season and overall for sure, but... Quez is not able to hang up. Uh, Other than that, though, there wasn't really anything spectacular for the rest of that fourth quarter because the game was out of hand. So it was a lot of just Hurts running the ball for short gains and the running backs running the clock out. That Eagles offensive line is so dominant that when they get to a point of even having a short lead, they can easily just kill the game and kill the clock. I would have liked Jalen Hurts to take a couple more, uh, I mean, a couple less hits when the game was out of line but it seems like i'm saying that with jalen hurts every week at this point and it might not be something he's ever going to do so uh that is what it is you do you, we did see the packers have a little run when jordan love came back uh, came in which i think we will t- uh touch on later but the game was never really in jeopardy and jalen hurts had a good first half and third quarter that kind of just put it away
1: yeah, uh, I agree with what you said there. Um, I do want to interject on uh, one point that you made, though, uh, on the Quez Watkins thing. I don't, I don't, I don't want to consider that a drop. It's a really, really tough catch for him to make. Um, he's going full speed um, to his left, and he's trying to get both feet in bounds, uh, and he's like kind of like falling out, and he has to put both hands up and try to snag it, like. Um, While well, fully extending, and it glances off his fingertips. So I, I don't want to consider that a drop, but maybe like you could say that like a better like receiver would have made that play. Um, yeah. but I don't I don't think like yeah. it's an expected play. It's just something that like it would be a great play if you made that type of thing.
0: Yeah, I sh- I probably should have expressed that better. That definitely would have been an incredible catch if Quez did come down with it but it was more just a testament to how even in a really weird spot, Jalen Hurts was able to just get the ball in a somewhat reasonable place to where his receiver could get it. And if he did come down with that, that would have been incredible.
1: Yep. Um, so that's a wrap up on one young quarterback. Moving on to another young quarterback. We're going to talk about Kenny Pickett here um, on Monday night football against the Colts and, This one started pretty rough for Kenny Pickett. I'm not going to lie. We start off with a few nice short completions where he's pushing the ball like more than halfway past the first down marker and, you know, getting some nice completions. But then he does miss very early in the game where um, he has Sims open um, and he throws a a poor ball that's a little high for him. Um, And that would have gotten them a first down on third down. Um, Then. We have a nice scram- or a nice run that he has, um, or a nice scramble. Yeah, uh, off a three step three step drop, he scrambles to his right, uh, picks up nine yards, and then he takes back to back bad sacks. In my opinion, where uh, he doesn't really like sense the pressure until it's or he he bails from the pocket a little early, but doesn't sense the actual pressure until it's too late, um, and so that kind of just leads to him running around. Uh, for no reason. And then the next sack that he takes is also on him because um, the the Steelers are in a full slide to the right in protection, um, and therefore that would lead to Pickett being hot off the left. And he just, like, I don't know, he just doesn't realize that he's hot, I guess. And that just leads to him taking a sack. Um, and then to close out the first quarter, he has Deontay Johnson, wide open outside the numbers to his right, and he just overthrows him by, by like, 10 yards. Um, but from that point onwards, it was pretty much lights out for Pickett. So he throws um, a pass behind the light of scrimmage for his first pass, and then the next pass that he throws is a great back shoulder pass in a tight window to George Pickens, who makes a great adjustment to the ball and, and makes the play. Um, and then we finish out the second quarter with... Uh, an array of great short passes and um, shorter runs and Pickett made barely any mistakes until the last play uh, of his second quarter where he had Pickens kind of wide open and he just missed him by a little bit uh, ahead of him. Um, Not many plays in the third quarter, just three, but another miss where Deontay Johnson was kind of wide open and Pickett throws it low for him. But then, Back-to-back passes where I thought George Pickens could have made a play. Um, First one was just a straight-up drop in a tight window to me. Um, And then another one outside the numbers to the right where Pickens is kind of just trying to... I don't know. Um, I have my gripes with Pickens where I think he's just trying very hard to make a spectacular play instead of trying very hard to just make a play. And so that leads to him uh, making a poor adjustment on back-to-back passes here. Um, where Pickett threw good balls, um, and then in in the fourth quarter, the first play that uh, Pickett has, um, it's a tight window throw inside the numbers where Pickens makes a great catch, uh, finally securing one of those spectacular plays. Um, so you see kind of the good and the bad with with Pickens. So that that leads into a few more short passes uh, for Pickett, and then he throws another good pass to Pickens in a tight window. It's a little bit behind him, but uh, that's complete for uh, the two-point conversion. Um, and then he takes one sack, which I didn't think was his fault, and then one short completion, um, and the Steelers punted away and the Colts fail on their, their drive. So um, I don't know. It seems like, from what I said, it was a mixed bag, but Pickett's accuracy throughout the night was pretty good, even though I mentioned a bunch of misses that were to open receivers. Um overall i think that uh he played quite well um when he was asked to be kind of like this quick passer and controlled deep shots uh down the field were a pretty big part of his game um if you want an actual accuracy number for a picket this game 57 percent perfect pass rate which is around average but then you consider the fact that he was pushing the ball um pretty far down the field on some of these passes so um Good game from Pickett. I'm hopeful that um, he can kind of take that play style of quick passes, moving into deeper passes into the coming weeks. Uh, Any thoughts that you have there?
0: Uh, Not much additional on Pickett. I do agree pretty much with most of what you're saying, where he's looking at his best right now, where they've kind of adjusted his play style to be a lot of that short, quick game that we see a lot of other young quarterbacks used to adjust to the league but yeah I think I think we still have a lot more to see with Pickett and I'm interested to see what he'll do the rest of the season because that's kind of all the Steelers have right now is just nurturing the development of Pickett.
1: Yep agreed there and then moving on to um, my final review of this week Um, it's going to be the Thursday night football game from week 13 and I'm going to be talking about Josh Allen because I think that his performance here was pretty important to talk about Um, because of the, the box score is not telling the story uh, for Josh Allen quite at all. So in this one, Allen had uh, 33 passes, 22 completions for 223 yards and two touchdowns and no interceptions. So that would make you think he played a reasonably clean game with some misses, but I didn't think that at all for Josh Allen. So my, my view of this game was that Allen was very up and down he made three, maybe four, um, incredible explosive plays in this game. But he also put the bar, ball in harm's way uh, three times. Two dropped interceptions and one fumble for Josh Allen. And only one of them resulted in an actual turnover. He also had 20 rushing yards on eight uh, rush attempts. And so the the rushing wasn't really there. Um, but the one play that I wanted to talk about that was an explosive play, which was this incredible uh, deep pass that, Josh Allen had to Stefan Diggs and it got called back because of a holding. Um, But it was just incredible to see Josh Allen um, throw it deep down, down the field for a 41 yard touchdown. And that caught call call back um, where he was running outside the pocket. So I guess it could have been his fault for kind of extending that play for too long, but um, just an important moment to me because um, it just shows that the box score doesn't, usually capture everything that happens Um, I think overall um, his accuracy and his decision making were fine Um, but I think that um, it doesn't really do anything for him to to advance him in in his MVP case I would still have him uh, probably at two Um, and so yeah any thoughts that you have on that I just wanted to touch on that quickly
0: yeah nothing much to add to that I think, I, well, I guess you did mention that Allen is two for you in the MVP votes. I guess it's not something we're going to emphasize on this week. But I think for me, in recent weeks, he has dropped down a little bit more compared to some of the other guys we might talk about later in this episode. But still, yeah, another incredible performance from Allen. I found that 40-yard touchdown that got erased from the... Um, from the game due to a penalty interesting because as someone who didn't watch that game, I didn't even know. So yeah, it does yeah. go to show how important some of those plays that we don't see unless you actually watch the game are.
1: Yep. Uh, totally agreed there. Um, So that'll wrap up our reviews for week 12 and we will um, jump right into our previews for week, what is it? 13. 13. Um, Oh, yeah. So fast. starting off this one with um, a double quarterback episode or uh, preview. And that's going to be Aaron Rodgers and Jordan Love. So, um, as we know, uh, Aaron Rodgers has been suffering a litany of injuries this season. And his performance on, what is it, Sunday night against the Eagles uh, kind of reflected that. Um, he got popped um, on a hit where. Um, A defender's helmet uh, he took a helmet right into the ribs or the oblique area is what they're calling it and so um, that caused him to have some really really like bad grimaces and he didn't look right particularly at all and so I I don't know what to expect for Rodgers going into this game Um, and so I, I think it's very possible that this might be his last last time starting if the Packers lose um, and so that leads me into the quarterback that I wanted to talk about more. Uh, imagine saying that a couple of weeks ago in Jordan Love. And Jordan Love was absolutely fantastic in, in the moments that he did get. Um, he threw um, a nice pass to Christian Watson for a touchdown um, where he didn't have to do much, but the ball was placed well and Watson was able to run through it for his touchdown. Um, and then he threw um, the the other standout pass to me was... He threw a really nice hole shot to Aaron Jones. Um, It was a little bit more open than a normal tight window hole shot, but I mean, the ball was placed perfectly and Jones just dropped it. Um, His other two incompletions were him aggressively trying to make a play into the end zone where those were really tight windows. And I don't think that uh, it's reasonable to expect him to hit those. Everything else, except for maybe one pass where I thought it was a little high on a short, short completion, everything else looked absolutely great. And this is like, what is it, the second, third time maybe that Love has looked good in relief of Rodgers. And so I'm I'm wondering if maybe this year uh, at any point he can translate it into like an actual starting, a a good start um, instead of just a good play in a backup performance. Um, So maybe in weeks after this one, uh, we'll see that maybe. Um, As for this one against the Bears, I think that Rodgers has a chance to make some explosive plays because the Bears' defense is quite bad. But I don't know if the consistency element will be there uh, for Rodgers because the injury really seems to be bothering him and his accuracy looks diminished from last year and years prior. So, yeah, looking at all of those things uh, for the Packers moving forward.
0: Yeah, I'd also be very surprised if Rodgers plays a whole lot more anytime soon. Because I was watching that game where he did end up getting injured. And he tried to, like, when the game was still in hand, he tried to tough it out and play a drive or two. But he was essentially there just handing the ball off and throwing, uh, throwing screens. And even when he was throwing the screens, he seemed like he was in intense pain every time he let go of the ball. So I'd be really surprised if we see him play, like, uh, a whole lot many more games because this Packers season is about to be kind of irrelevant some, uh, pretty soon and I don't there's clearly not a future for this team this season so I yeah I could see them running with love for a lot of this year as PD mentioned and I think it's about damn time they spent a first on him and we're seeing guys in that same draft class like Herbert, Tua, Burrow finally have their leap into elite or borderline elite status and become, like, top quarterbacks in the league. So it's about time we see Jordan Love even just touch the football field and see what he can do because at this point, his whole career is going to get wasted. So, yeah, let's hope we see him on the field.
1: Yeah, hoping to see some more Jordan Love. Um, moving on from uh, a declining quarterback um, to... Another one who hasn't played his best ball this year, and that's Kirk Cousins uh, going up against a powerful Jets defense. Great matchup in this one between Jefferson and Sauce Gardner and DJ Reed. Uh, really looking forward to see what they can throw at him. But I think this should be a good test for for the Vikings. If there was a game where the play action and the run game could finally make an appearance, it really hasn't this year. But if, the, if there was a game, this would be it. They, they really do need to show up because I think if you let the Jets defensive line get straight pass rushing opportunities, um, especially on the interior. Quinn and Williams against anyone on the Vikings' interior offensive line is a, is a really bad mismatch, I think. And so uh, they, they really do need to emphasize getting the ball out of Cousins' hands fast, um, getting the play-action game going, uh, whether that's with the run game working or without. Just make sure that you can get guys to get open and give him time, and that's probably going to be pretty difficult uh, against this Jets defense. So... I'm not going into the game with high expectations for the Vikings offense, but if they if Cousins does play well, that would be pretty impressive to me.
0: Yeah, and you said early in your preview of Cousins that he has been playing his best ball. Uh, the correct terminology you're looking for is probably that Kirk is falling off, and that's what we're witnessing, the fall off of Kirk Cousins. And I think this game will see the continuation of that, because as you mentioned, that New York defense has been... Very good. And I mean that Minnesota offense has also been incredible. So this is gonna be a matchup of heavyweights in all seriousness. Kirk Cousins isn't falling off and I this will be a big test for him. And I'm interested to see how that'll go. Probably one of the underrated matchups this weekend in a pretty star studded uh week of matchups, so to say. And one of the biggest matchups in this one has been something that a lot of people have been waiting on for a very long time. And it's the official return of Deshaun Watson after a year and 12 games of not playing. And he's going to get his first chance back in the NFL, back in Houston, where uh, it all started. The NFL script writers couldn't have made it any better. This is going to be very cool to see. As far as the actual game, uh, I don't expect a whole lot from that Houston defense. I'm pretty sure at this point, even they know that they're tanking for either Bryce, probably Bryce Young. I think they're going to end up with that first overall pick. So I don't see much resistance coming from that Houston defense. I'm a lot more interested to see where Deshaun Watson will be at when he comes back. Because so obviously... The last time we've seen him play, he played like a clear top five, arguably even top three. And I think PD here thought he was the best quarterback in the league in the last full season he played. So the biggest question mark is, are we going to get that same player who's who was a top quarterback in the league in his early 20s? And the Browns are about to get him throughout his entire prime, so... That'll be very interesting to see how he bounces back after a year and a half off. Uh, This is probably the best team he's had around him because that Houston team was notoriously bad. Here he probably has his best receiver since playing with D-Hop and Amari Cooper. He's got an incredible run game with that Nick Chubb-Kareem Hunt dynamic duo we've seen for years. That offensive line is clear of what uh, he saw with Houston his whole time there. So I think the grounds will put up a lot of points. I don't expect a master class out of Deshaun Watson out the gates. Because he obviously hasn't played in a very, very long time. I think it was probably like since 2020 or something like that. Maybe even longer. I forget the exact time period. But I don't expect a massive splash game from him. If he does come back and do that, I'd be incredibly shocked but it will still be a comfortable easy game for him against this Texans team and I just want to mention again how funny it is that the NFL happened to give him the exact uh, uh suspension to have him return for this game specifically because there was really no precedent on how many games he was getting suspended and they kind of got to choose what they wanted and it just happened to be this so that's funny to see, but I'm interested to see him back. It will be a little sad that Jacoby Brissett, after the season he's been having, is not going to get to play for this team, especially judging you know, the character of those two people. But it is what it is, and yeah.
1: Yeah, I mean, his return this week is emblematic of a lot of things, but um, I think looking at it only on the field... Um, which is tough to do, but I'm going to try. Um, I want to talk about the one point that you made where I thought he might have been the best quarterback in 2020. Um, I think, um, I think I've, I've kind of revised my opinion a little bit where I think he has an argument, but I I probably lean Rogers um, at this point uh, after watching the film multiple more times. Um, And then uh, as for the the Texans this week, I mean they they can't they can't stop a nosebleed. I I would expect Nick Chubb to run for like 150, maybe um, that that wouldn't be out of the question at all for me. And even if he doesn't, I think that they can't pa- stop the pass either. So, I mean this this is this is a very bad team. Like honestly, um, they could solidify themselves as a historically bad team in the in the coming weeks. I think they are truly that bad. Um, in terms of coaching talent, I mean. I don't, I don't see much, many redeeming qualities about the Texans. It, it becomes almost difficult to watch, even when I don't watch. I don't, I don't watch for the Texans, but um, when I have to watch t- teams play against the Texans, it becomes quite bad. So, um, yeah, hopefully we can get to the end of the season. The, season, the draft can't come quick enough for, for Texans fans, yeah. I think.
0: And sadly enough, I think Bryce Young will end up being in that situation where it won't be much improved from this Houston roster, and they might end up wasting his career like a lot of bad teams have done with these good young QBs. Yeah,
1: I mean but, they have they have draft capital, a lot of it, and cap space. So it's it's very possible that they have yeah. a different situation next year. So I we, sure we, can, we can stay so. hopeful, but yeah, that, that's not out of the range of it is
0: the Texans though. I I I saw how they dealt with Watson. I don't know if they can create a team around a franchise quarterback. But let's uh, hope for them. For yeah, their let's, sake. Give,
1: let's give Casario a chance. I think, I think there's a chance there. Um, anyway, speaking of a team with a chance, uh, let, let's look at the Tennessee Titans, who have been playing fantastic football recently uh, up until their loss last week against the Bengals. And I think, um, looking at Ryan Tannehill in this one, um, I think this game is going to be a good test for him because I think that with the return of Jordan Davis, the Eagles will have a much better chance of stopping the run. Uh, The Titans run blocking this year hasn't been very good. It's been a lot of Derrick Henry just playing out of his mind um, in the run game. And so I think that with, with the run blocking being poor, the rushing attack becomes unstable in general. Um, And against, I would say, I wouldn't call the Eagles a good run defense, but when Jordan Davis is on on the field, um, they're a lot better than they've shown. Um, in, in that, I think Ryan Tannehill might have to do a lot in this game, especially with the Titans' defense likely letting up quite a lot of points to the Eagles on the other end, just, just because the Eagles are a great offense, not because the Titans' defense is bad or anything. Um, but yeah, there's a chance that Ryan Tannehill has to do a lot in this game, and I'm interested to see how he responds. Um, it's probably going to be very difficult for him because the cornerback duo uh, or the, the secondary in general for the Eagles is just really strong, um, and that will probably make windows tighter for Tannehill. Um, and I know that his tight window accuracy is is really good, some of the best in the league, quite honestly, but um, he needs to show up this game in a big way. So this should be a good lit- litmus test.
0: Yeah, big litmus test for not only him, but that Titans team – And even that Eagles team. This is going to be one of the Eagles' first big matchups against a team they don't see very often. So it'll show how good both teams really are. Uh, And moving on to another quarterback in the AFC who Tannehill actually beat in the playoffs, I believe, in Lamar Jackson, who's going to be at home versus a pretty good Denver defense uh, the only problem with Denver really is, even though that defense has been incredible and, when healthy, arguably the best in the league. One, as I mentioned just now, the injuries have been tolling up for them. But more importantly, that offense has been so atrocious that pretty much no matter what that defense really does, that team can't be successful. And ultimately, by the second half... The defense is tired out, lets up a little bit of lets up a little bit, and ultimately the Broncos lose. And I don't think this game will be much different. I do think Lamar will struggle a bit having to deal with guys like Pat Sertan, covering probably the worst receiver core in the league by far. He will be getting Mark Andrews back again this week. he just returned last week. And Denver is notoriously bad at not being able to cover tight ends. Their uh, linebacking core has not been good whatsoever uh, this year. So I do expect Andrews to feast, but that is a very one-dimensional offense, and that secondary has been good. I don't know how much separation we'll be seeing the Ravens def- uh, Ravens uh, actual wide receivers get. However, I do think uh, Lamar's rushing abilities and just whatever Mark Andrews is going to do to that defense will be enough for the uh, Baltimore to have a semi-successful offense. And because of how bad that Broncos offense will be, I do think Baltimore can escape with like a ugly-ish win, that, which is what we see a lot of teams do against this uh, Broncos team this year. So probably not a incredibly flashy and productive uh session for Lamar but he should exit with a solid performance and a win and if he doesn't I'd be a little disappointed out of him
1: Yeah I mean I would favor the Ravens by a lot of points in this game. This is not going to be a good game to watch in my opinion. Um, not
0: at all. In a week not big matchups too.
1: Not nothing to do with Lamar just the other side of the ball is just dreadful, and uh, I hope I hope Very we don't have school. to talk about the Broncos' offense again this this season. Um, but moving Even
0: on to, it, but maybe you should, as the resident Broncos fan, PD. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I get out don't... your thoughts on that uh, magnificent offense.
1: I'm I'm okay with that. Anyway, um, moving on to man, I I wish this matchup was at a different time. I really do. Um, this is a fantastic matchup in Dolphins 49ers. Um, I think that this is a huge, huge game for uh, defining to, to, the narrative on Tua. Um, this game, Teron, Teron Armstead is projected to be out, I think, at this point still. And even if he is playing, I don't think that he's going to be close to 100%. And that just means that the offensive line is in shambles again for the Miami Dolphins. And when you're going up against the 49ers defensive line, and especially Nick Bosa, it's going to be really difficult to, to manage without Teron Armstead. And, you know, we talked about this in the offseason, but the, the Miami or the Dolphins signed a bunch of offensive linemen uh, so that they could kind of patch up the the line. But when you get injuries, all you do is just basically you return to the status of the 2021 offensive line, which is historically awful and almost changed. or It did. It changed the way that the Dolphins played offense uh, because it was so bad. So, That's what Tua is going to be dealing with. And then on top of that, um, this is not a a good matchup, even if they were healthy because, um, well, because Fred Warner and Fred Warner's ability to cover the middle of the field, which is Tua's greatest strength right now, um, that that would have made it difficult anyway. So this should be a good test for Tua where it'll be able to show what kind of counters he has in his game when the middle of the field is taken away, when his ability to play under pressure Um, is tested, Um, I think that this is a great game for him to show what he's got.
0: Yeah, first thing I want to touch on is I have no idea why this game is not on primetime. The Niners-Dolphins have been two of the most electrifying teams in the year and of this season, and I'm not even saying that just because I'm a Niners fan. This is pretty clearly a big matchup that almost 90% of NFL fans won't be able to see because they just aren't in the Miami or Bay Area market. I don't know why Dallas... Indianapolis at Dallas is still in prime time when this game is going on in the middle of the afternoon at one o five. Not sure what the NFL is doing here. They didn't even make it one of the prime time games of the week. But it's it's whatever, it is what it is. I'll still be able to enjoy it, unlike many others. Uh,
1: It's also like the second the second most important matchup of that time slot. Like uh-huh. Chiefs-Bengals is, is 125, Dolphins-Niners is 105. So, I mean, this Yeah, is not... they,
0: they even put Chargers-Raiders, for whatever reason, in that 125 slide, slot over Niners-Dolphins. Uh, so, I have no clue what they're thinking. And another thing I want to touch on with the Niners defensive line going up against that... Uh, Dolphins all line without Armstead, which is obviously the worst in the league, I'd say. It's, it was awful. And in addition to that, the Niners defensive line is finally getting fully healthy with Eric Armstead supposed to make his first. Uh, he's supposed to have his first game back after being injured for most of the season. So that's definitely going to be something key to look for in the Tua side of things. But talking about the Jimmy Garoppolo side of things, I think one thing people are not really talking about in this one and I think it will come up pretty important is the Dolphins head coach being Mike McDaniel did literally just come from the Niners and help Jimmy go to an NFC Championship game. So I do feel like he's going to have a great understanding of what Jimmy likes to do, what Kyle likes to do, and... For that reason, he will have a good idea of how to stop it. So, that is one thing I'm very worried about with this game going into this game is how Jimmy G will respond to a team that kind of knows what he wants to do and 100% knows the offense that he's trying to run. And another thing is traditionally, not so much this year, but throughout his career, Jimmy G has struggled a lot with blitzing and you know creative blitzes that'll confuse him at the line and make him make those uh, game-changing mistakes that he's gotten so known for and one thing that the Dolphins have been great at these last few years and especially this year is blitzing heavily and continuing to use stunts and different types of pressures that just confuse the shit out of quarterbacks like Jimmy Garoppolo who are prone to being bad against the Blitz. So he's done a much better job of that this year. And I'm interested to see if that will continue into this, this one, knowing Jimmy Garoppolo, where he's had a bunch of games now where he's stringed together good performances. This does seem like that trap type of, uh, type of game against a hot out of conference team that might just, get to him and cause him to have a bad performance but outside of that a lot of Miami's defense uh doesn't necessarily match up well against what the Niners have to offer I could see George Kittle having a big game because I know Miami has been poor against tight ends as well they're not particularly good against the run and even though the Niners did lose Eliza Mitchell to the IR once again I do think we will lean on guys like McCaffrey and then the new backups and Jordan Mason and TDP so I think the ball will be in a lot of cases taken out of Jimmy's hands in this one as much as possible and if he is forced to do something uh, I don't have high hopes for it but the way he's been playing I I don't want to count him out either I do think with the amount of firepower he has he can still continue his recent upturn against this Dolphins team and we could see just that, that Niners offense continue to steamroll and be as good as it's been. But that's not what I'm expecting, for sure.
1: Um, I don't know if I'd say Garoppolo is bad against the Blitz, but you said the, the right word there, uh, creative Blitzes. Um, Anything that causes him to think, like, excessively, he starts holding onto the ball, and uh, bad things happen when Jimmy G holds onto the ball. Um, yep. So I'm I'm interested to see uh, what the Dolphins do. Um, but I do like the Niners to, to win this game overall after previewing both quarterbacks. Um, so, yeah, that'll wrap up everything except the last one for you. Um.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: Well, we've got
0: one more. And just like PD forgot about it, this is going to be that forgotten matchup that I wish was not on primetime and the Niners-Dolphins was instead. But anyways... The Sunday night football game will be Dallas uh facing the Colts in in Dallas. And looking at Dak in this one who we've talked about in recent weeks, he's kind of come back from that injury he had for a lot of this year and he did have a couple of weeks where he had a uh in a way shake off the rust. And in the recent in recent events, he's been absolutely incredible. And going into this one, I don't expect a whole lot different Uh, at this point. I think the Colts season, I think everyone can agree, is over at this point. The whole Matt uh, Ryan experiment was clearly uh, not the move, so to say. And that offense has been abysmal. Uh, That defense hasn't been quite bad. I'd say they've been about average. They've got still that very strong front seven And I do think that's going to challenge Dallas with their run game with Zeke and Pollard, which they love to go to. But as far as Dak goes, uh, I don't expect that front seven to particularly give him too many problems. And uh, the back half of that team really doesn't have a whole lot to compete with, like the likes of CeeDee Lamb, Michael Gallup, etc. So I do expect a big game from Dallas and that offense. And... Uh, i'm expecting a good one out of dak here they should take care of business
1: yep um agreed with that i don't think this one should be on prime time either um
0: yeah not much to say
1: all right um any last thoughts before we head out i don't think i have anything else to say
0: just that i think a lot of people have been talking about it and i will mention it as well that this game this week's got a lot of very very fun matchups. Some that we went over, some that we didn't. Key ones being Deshaun's return to Houston, a potential Super Bowl preview in Miami at San Francisco, uh, Kansas City at uh Cincinnati is going to be incredibly interesting. Chargers Raiders is always fun to watch. You're gonna get a good matchup between two good teams when Tennessee goes to Philly. So a lot of a lot of fun football didn't in this week and i just can't wait to see it all
1: oh also we have bucks saints who are um the saints are four and seven and they could they could jump to first place in the nfc south so that's incredible um that's
0: that's true my that might be the matchup of the week in fact
1: yeah and it's on
0: monday night so it's gotta be the nfl knows what it's doing
1: yep all right, that'll wrap it up for us. Thank you guys so much for listening. Make sure to like, subscribe, leave a comment wherever you're listening. And uh, yeah, that's all for me. See you guys.